They cut down a single cluster of grapes and carried it on a pole between two men. Now, do you see what I'm saying? You got one cluster of grapes that took two men to carry it on a pole. Okay? So, when I read the Bible, I read it to get revelation. I do not read to get through so many chapters or verses. I do not read to get a sermon, although I always get tons of sermons out of everything I read. I read it to get revelation truth. Okay? Now, think of this. They cut down a single cluster of grapes, and it took two of them to carry it on a pole and bring it back with them. Now, I like visual sermons. Anybody know why? Because you only remember 10% of what you hear. Do you know that? 10% of what you hear is all you remember. And it's not coming to church. I don't want you to leave with only 10%. But you remember 80% of what you see. Okay? That's why I like little twatnots, because I have a whole bunch of little twatnots. I don't have room for them now, but I can tell you what each one, what verse each one represents, because it jars your memory, okay? So 80%. So as he's not here, Lee said, if you mix hearing and seeing, you get a little bit more than 80%, okay? So I like visual sermons, okay? Now, this is a cluster of grapes. This is a pole. Not a very nice one, but it's a pole. I forgot my pole at home, so I went and grabbed the broom handle. Okay? Now, a cluster of grapes has between 70 and 80 grapes on it. It weighs around 16 ounces. This grapes here has a little bit less than... Uh, 70, there's some that fell off, and you know how that goes. It weighs about 12 ounces, is what this weighs, okay? And as you notice, I can carry it on a single hand, and it's very hard to get put on a pole, okay? So I'm done with the pole, okay? But the cluster in the promised land took two men, one cluster, took two men to carry it on a pole. Now, the questions I like to ask is who, what, when, where, and why. So the question is, who are the two men? Numbers 13 gives me the names of 12 possible candidates. But because of how the story unfolds, I know it can only be two, Joshua and Caleb. I know that because the way the story unfolds. If you don't know the story in Numbers 13, you need to read it. But let me give you a little insight. The Lord tells Moses to send out one man who was a leader from each of the 12 tribes. The Levites were left out. When they get back with their cluster of grapes, all 12 men give a glowing report of the land. They agree with the fact that is a land flowing with milk and honey. That's a sermon in itself. And they brought back proof, which was a cluster of grapes. You see how big that is? One cluster. 
You say, how is that possible? Well, it's possible. And if you study scientific facts of how the world was before the flood, you would understand a lot of things, like why there were giant dinosaurs and why there were giants in the land and why they had, they had uh, the food that they had and all that kind of stuff. You would discover that uh, gold and precious gems and all that stuff were on the surface. And it's just scientifically, it's a whole concept of what the flood is and where the atmosphere was and the environment over the earth and the environment under earth and the, the hothouse effect it had. But apparently a lot of that still was going on in the promised land. Okay? So they had this one cluster of grapes that took two men to carry back, okay? So when they get back with the cluster of grapes, all 12 men give the same report. The land is flowing with milk and honey. But, which is an interesting word, then the spokesman said, nevertheless, nevertheless, one word, a very powerful word, a word that changed the course of these people's lives for the rest of their lives. A report that caused them to die in the desert without going into the promised land. Nevertheless means ceasing an end of finality. It is a word that serves to mark a tradition to something new and transitions to something new, not tradition, a transition to something new. Biblically, when God says, nevertheless, there's a lot of neverlesses in the scripture, when God says, nevertheless, he's either taking away a blessing or he's giving a blessing. Now, you say, well, why would God take away blessings? If you study the word in the scripture and read the verses that are tied with it, God removes the blessing because of disobedience. When God gives you a blessing, he, pro he wants obedience from you. That pole's bothering you? You don't want me to trip and fall and break my neck, right? Okay, thank you very much. I appreciate that. I almost stepped on it. When God takes away a blessing, it's because of your disobedience. It's not because he wants to remove the blessing. But when, and biblically, when God gives a blessing, he gives it for one reason. Because he loves you. And every time God removes a blessing, he always leaves the door open for you to get your blessing back. So if you have lost a blessing, because of disobedience, there is a door open for you to get that blessing back. And that is to repent, tell God you're sorry, do an about face, and follow the path that God wants you to follow. It's very simple. And you'll have the blessing. Because God does not want to remove the blessings. And you see that over and over in Scripture. God says, I don't want to do this. I stood, look, I, I searched for a man to stand in the gap so I don't have to remove the blessing over Israel that I told him I was going to remove. But I couldn't find a man that would intercede for the people, so therefore I'm going to remove the blessing. God does not do it happily. He does it with tears in his eyes. But they said, nevertheless, 12 men, one command. 
12 men, all 12 had come out of Egypt, all crossed the Red Sea on dry land, all ate the manna, all saw the water come out of the rock, all had their clothes not wear out, all were kept warm by the fire God sent at night, kept cool by the cloud that God sent during the day. And when summer comes, I'm going to say, God, how about one of those clouds following me around, okay? I'll be walking down the street, and you'll see me, and there'll be a cloud over my head, and there'll be no sunshine on me. It's an air-conditioned cloud, by the way. Okay? Air-conditioned. Hey, I can ask for something, can I? Nothing's impossible for God, right? Of course, God wouldn't do it because I look like a freak, but that's all right. Okay? Twelve men eager to go into the promised land and 12 men eager to leave the promised land. But 10 of the 12 men wanted to leave the promised land because of the giants. Two of the men wanted to leave the promised land because they wanted to get back and show the people proof that it is a land of promise. Okay? And I hope that when you go to the store and you walk by the grapes, that God jars your memory of what God did. And that you be a person who wants to go into the promised land. That's why I like illustrations. Remember that I did that one about the necklace around your neck? Hopefully every time you see that. Now why do you wear a cross around your neck? Why do you why do you wear a wedding ring? Why do you do that? Symbolisms, okay? They all wanted to get out, but 10 of them wanted to get out because of the giants. Two of them wanted to get out because of what they wanted to show the people. Okay? 10 men saw themselves as grasshoppers. Okay? Again, why? What, when, where, why, and how? Why did they describe themselves as grasshoppers? Is it because of the smallness of a grasshopper? <coughs> well, a bee and an ant is smaller than a grasshopper. Why not call yourself an ant? Why not refer to yourself as a locust? Why do they pick a grasshopper? Anybody know? Because bees, now if I was in Bible school, Bible study, I'd let you answer it, but since I'm up here, I'm not going to. Bees, ants, and locusts do one thing that grasshoppers do not do. You know what that is? They work aggressively, and they work together. <coughs> grasshoppers are solitary creatures <coughs> and have a color that they can hide from. Locusts are not like that. <coughs> Excuse me, I'll be in a second here. Ten who wanted God to get rid of the giants Two, who wanted to get rid of the giants. You want God to get rid of your giants in your life? Thank you, grandson. Someday you're going to leave. Okay, do you want God to remove the giants in your life? Or do you want to remove the giants in your life? Read the Bible. God says you. You do it. I've given you authority. Authority to tread on scorpions. 
authority to cast out demons, authority to heal the sick. I've given you that authority. You take charge of that authority. You do that authority. You don't like the giants in your life, you take authority over those giants. So don't be asking me to do what I've given you authority and power to do, okay? It's your power that I have put in your hands. Take it, run with it, and use it. Don't be praying, God, get rid of the giants. Say, God, where are they at? I want to go hunt them down, okay? David charged Goliath. He did not run away from him. And why did he have five stones? Because Goliath had Goliath four brothers. You know that? In case the other four came out, he's going to get rid of them too. Okay? Ten who would have said to the people, no giants, no problem. Let's take the land. Two who said, giants, no problem. Let's take the land. What do you say? The power of focus. Twelve men focused. Ten focus on the giants, two focus on the grapes. Biblically, focus means to purposely fade everything but the object. It is, as Colossians 3.12 says, setting your mind. And I've said this before, in case you don't know, I'll say it again. When you're in a car as a man driving, you are focused. Okay? But when you're the wife, or the, you're a woman driver, your focus is like this. You see everything. You see the cars coming at you. You see all the things that occur. But the driver just sees this. I'm just going to go ahead. Okay? That's just what we do. That's why men listen to your wives when they go, <gasps> Okay? Okay, that's something I had, had to learn. So what are we to set our mind on? The Bible tells us simply, set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. We are commanded in Psalms 119, 112 to focus our heart on the God's decrees to the very day we die. It's very sad People that served the Lord for 50 years, in the last few years of their life, they denounce him. We are commanded to focus our thoughts and our eyes on Jesus. Hebrews 3, 1 and 12, 2. We are commanded to focus our hope on the grace that Jesus will reveal to us at his coming. 1 Peter 1, 13. You think you have grace now? Wait till Jesus comes. I discovered when I went overseas in India and Red China and Nepal and those places, and I saw believers that had suffering, had suffered for Christ, that had been stabbed for Christ, that had been thrown in prison for Christ, had lost everything for Christ. I saw the grace of God in ways I never saw it before, and I saw faith in the ways I never saw it before. Keeping spiritually focused isn't a hit or miss proposition. It's something you got to work at. I had to work at it this morning. You have to give it all your energy. All the examples of faith in the Bible have one common factor. They focus. Okay, so focus, focus, focus. Now, after they cut down the cluster of grapes, 
okay? Custard grapes. Joshua and Caleb put a pole between the cluster, hoisted it on their shoulders. So who went first? I believe it was Caleb. And I believe Joshua brought up the rear. All the way back to camp, they remained focused on the task of bringing the grapes safely home. Up the hills, <coughs> down the hills, across the streams. They had one focus, <coughs> getting the grapes back to the people. Now, there is a difference if you're in the front carrying the grapes than if you're in the back carrying the grapes. If you're in the front carrying the grapes, you can feel the weight of the grapes on your shoulders, but you can't see them. But if you're in the back carrying the grapes, all you see, if you keep yourself focused, is grapes in front of you. Okay? So if you've got a choice between Joshua or Caleb, become Joshua and keep the grapes in front of you. Everywhere you look, there's a cluster of grapes. Okay? So keep focused. So why'd they go to all that trouble? That's another why. Why'd they go to all that trouble? Okay, it's interesting, very interesting. They come back, give, going to give a report that the land is as God said it was. So they needed proof that the land was as God said it was. So they brought back one cluster of grapes. Because they didn't think anybody would believe them otherwise. Who would believe that there are grapes that big? Imagine how big the one grape must have been. Hmm? Sit down with your family and three others and say, hey, what's for dinner? This is what one giant grape. You're all going to eat that. Okay? <laughs> big grapes means big blessing. Little grapes means Little blessing. Big giants mean <clears throat> big obstacles. Little giants mean little obstacles. Okay? And it's very interesting that the people who did not see the giants but saw the grapes Believe the report of the ten over the two. That means 80%, well, not, not quite 80, what, 70-some percent, there's 12 people. 70-some percent of the people don't believe. They got the grapes right there before them. All they got to do is look at them, take one up, put it in their mouth, and eat it. They don't have any giant standing before them. But you see, they knew the history of giants because they knew the reason God sent the flood because the giants came in Genesis chapter 6 and corrupted the whole earth. And Noah found grace in the sight of the Lord. They know that. So they had a history of giants in their life. They had past experiences that they had gone through. Giants that hinder them from wanting to go in and take the, taste the grapes, okay? 
We all have giants in our past. Giants that want to keep us from enjoying the grapes. And we don't, the grapes, one cluster is there before you, but you got to go in and take them. But you're letting the giants of your past keep you from going into the land and the promise that God has for you, okay? So what you focus on from this story not only affects you, it affects others. What you see affects what you see to yourself, of yourself. You have the ten and the two standing before this grapes, and ten of them don't see it. They see the giants. So therefore, the people can't see the grapes because the ten got them to see the giants as well. The ten people, the ten would be like this. The economy's bad. Social security is dwindling. Health insurance. Who's got health insurance anymore? It's any good. Gas prices are going through the roof. You know, they did come down, but they're on the verge of shooting way back up because this reserve that Biden released is about up. And they estimate that by the summer, gas prices will be pushing close to $5 a gallon. I don't want to, I'm not going to believe it, though. I'm not going to pay attention to it because it can go $10 a gallon, but God gave me the money to pay for it, so it don't make a difference. Do you see the giants or do you see the grapes? Okay. Which do you see? Okay. What's, what's before your eyes? Food prices. Can't find things on the shelves. Okay. Can't uh, find the supplies you need to do the jobs that you need to do. I put these drops in my mouth. Okay. And normally I don't use cough drops. I use those Luden's throat drops. I um, couldn't find any. I went to all these different stores. So I went to the new Smith's that opened up. You know what that is? There's a new Smith's market. It's got clothes and everything else. So I go there and ask the lady where the cough drops are. She tells me over, and I go over there, and there's four bags of Luden's throat drops. And they're big ones. There's nine in each uh, bag. So I buy two of them. Why? Because I don't want to run out again and not have any. And I have a throat problem, and i got to keep my throat wet. Okay? So the drops and water help. Okay? So now i got to take another drink of water. <laughs> Food prices are bad. Okay? You, you say, come with me at once, and let's occupy the promised land. And together... We can overcome the giants. The ten would say, we can't occupy the promised land because there's giants in our way and we can't overcome them. And sadly, the vast majority of believers will never see the promised land because of the ten. Sadly, they will go through life with a grasshopper mentality living a few feet away as a refugee from their promised land, but never wanting to go in. Okay? So, are you going to be a grasshopper? 
Or are you going to be a bold, courageous, great, grabbing giant killer? Which one are you going to be? Okay. The promised lamb is given to you. It's promised. You got God's promises. Every promise in the book is mine. Every chapter, every verse, every line. Remember that song? I am trusting in the Lord divine. Every promise in the book is mine. Mine, mine, mine. You got this scenario, one song after another. You got to possess your promised land. God has given you the deed, but you got to possess it. And how do you do it? You do what Joshua did. Joshua 1, 2 to 5. God said to him, Every place the sole of your foot treads upon, I have given it to you. Okay? And no giant shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so will I be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. So what is this verse saying? God does not say, go to the right, go to the left, go straight ahead. God takes Joshua to the edge of the promised land and says, you decide which way you're going to go, and every place you plant your foot, I am going to bless. You decide a lot of decisions, and the Lord will bless those decisions. Too many people want God to bless a decision before they take a step. That's not the way it works. You got to take the step, and then there's no blessing there. You take the step, and there's a blessing. You chose which way to go. I can go this way. I can go this way. I have the freedom to make my choice, but I am going to take the step so I can have the blessing. I'm not going to say, well, God, put down the blessing. Let it be in front of me. I want to see it, and then I'll go there. No, don't work that way. Okay? does not work that way. And Proverbs 4.26 says <coughs> that before you take that step, you are to give a careful thought to the path you're going to put your feet on. And once you do it, be unwavering, persistent, <coughs> and committed to that path, is what it says. In other words, you don't just say, okay, God says, wherever I put my foot, he's going to bless me, so I'll just literally dilly go there or there. No, 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 no. You sit and you think where you are going to put your path. You decide what's the best place to plant your feet. And once you start, you have unwavering, persistent commitment to that path. And what's the light to your path? The Word of God is the light to your path. If you determine a path without the Word of God, there may not be a blessing there once you step on it. You can have every bit of the life God has destined for you. All it takes is for you to go into the promised land. Yes, the land's full of giants. So what? They can't harm you because you've got the sword of the Lord. Amen? When the ten tell you you can't go in, 
you tell them, no, you can't go in. Okay? I'm taking my promised land. And yes, there are times I'm weak and I slip and I take a quick peek at the giants, but I quickly realize that when I'm weak, I'm strong and that the one in me is greater than the giants that I see. So I put my eyes back and I focus upon the grapes, even the giants standing next to me, I focus upon the grapes and all I know is there's more waiting for me in the promised land. So the giants are things like fear, insecurity, inferiority complex, depression, worry, anxiety, stress, and it goes on and on and on. But it helps me to realize the grapes are not the prize. The land where the grapes come from are the prize. So sit back, enjoy your day, and enjoy your grapes.